welcome to episode 101 of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. My name is Sean Gerber, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Paul Herman. Paul, this is normally when I would ask you, how's it going? But I already know how it's going. This is a very difficult week for everybody across uh, Marvel fandom, superhero fandom, pop culture fandom, any kind of fandom, or just people who appreciate others who made monumental impacts on the world. This has just been a tough week. Yeah, this was, uh, you know, we had kind of talked about this and, you know, I, I work in healthcare and, you know, I prepare for stuff like this all the time, but, you know, like you said too, you know, you're, you're, you prepare, but you're not prepared. Mm -hmm. And this is no different for all those things. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult because of what Stan has meant to every one of us as, as people, and it's uh it's it's crazy um it's yeah, it's sad it's, it's it's really tough and and this is, is of course going to be our our celebration of Stanley it's uh very sad but there's also plenty to celebrate and remember and and happy memories of our of whatever we of of the ways that Stanley impacted our lives and hopefully I'm sure he touched those of you listening touched your lives in in similar ways or different ways depending on interactions you may have had with him or how you first knew about Stanley uh but we're going to be getting into uh we're going to get be getting into all of that in uh in this episode um but I think we'll just start with uh let's just start with with Monday Paul because I was I had actually it was normal day I had just posted uh, I just posted an article on MarvelStudiosNews.com. I was breaking down Venom box office and how that could impact the Spider-Man franchise and the association with the MCU and, and all of that. And then not long after I posted that article, I just saw it was like right after the tweet had gone out from TMZ. Somebody had retweeted it because I don't follow TMZ. I saw the story that, that Stan Lee had died. And, and I think it's just a sign to the times that when I saw it, I didn't immediately uh I didn't immediately react to it other than to click on it and see if it was real because we get this kind of stuff this stuff right. happens you know people send out things and uh, about people dying and they're not really dead or it's it's misinformation or sometimes it's just some horrible disgusting hoax and so when I first saw it I and, and clicked on it that's what I was hoping it would be uh and then I saw the article and I saw that other people were sharing the information as well and, and that it was confirmed and that it, it had happened. And I immediately just broke down and started crying. Like it was, mm. it was such sad, sad news as, as, as you were saying, I mean, it's, it's a day I'm not naive. I, I, we know how this stuff works. We know that we get older, we die and 95 is an incredible run for a human being uh, just in terms of making it that many years, let alone everything else that Stan accomplished. But knowing for the past several years, you know, that this day was going to come and that it was going to come sooner than later, I always knew that it would never make it any easier. And, and it didn't because there's not really a way to prepare to lose somebody who's made such an impact on your life. And I, I didn't know Stan. I was blessed to meet him very briefly on a few occasions. And I absolutely love that I got to meet him. But it wasn't my meetings with him that were that I was really focusing on with that loss of Stan uh, with losing Stanley. It was the, it was the huge, huge impact that he made on my life, which, and I know he did for you as well. And that's what we'll get into over the course of the show. 
Yeah. No, Stan Lee is, I'm really excited to celebrate. And that's the thing about with, with, with anytime with deaths that I really want to, you know, again, working in healthcare myself, you know, I've, it's, it's, I've learned to celebrate things and celebrate people rather than, and you can mourn them. And that's definitely a natural process. But for me, I really try hard to celebrate the people that, you know, that do leave us celebrate their lives and, and what they did and accomplished, whether they're celebrity celebrities or not. And, you know, and Stan obviously has done a lot of, you know, has done a lot of great things in his life for a lot of us. And, you know, and that one, and that's what for me and my my goal in this podcast today is to really celebrate the, the life of Stan and just just really lo- just love on what he did for us as you know the community of of superheroes of comic books of all that stuff and that's what I want to do today and I'm and I know we are so I'm really excited to get into that to be honest you know to try and try and set aside the grief and focus more on the positivity. I mean, that's why I'm glad we're doing this show. We're recording the show a couple of days after Stan passed, and it's a little easier to do this now. Uh, on Monday, it was really tough. I don't know. I know I know we were trying to see if we could get this show done on Monday, uh, but I'm glad we didn't because I don't even know if I was really in the right mood to go to focus on the celebratory part of it on Monday. It was just I was just so still so sad on Monday. Um, but focusing on the the celebration of it, when I look at what Stan Lee means to me, and one of the things I did on Monday is I watched I watched that episode of the Incredible Hulk cartoon from 1982 that I mentioned on our last episode, on episode 100. That episode was all about uh, Paul, you and I discussing how we became Marvel yeah. fans, and I, I'm very happy that that episode ended up being the 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 last episode we did before this one. Uh, because mm-hmm. that was also a celebration of, of Marvel fandom. And and so that can be an extension of this with uh, with what Stan meant to us and what he did for us. But I, I mentioned how that episode, I was obsessed with it dating back to before I can actually remember. And I, have, and I get told the stories of how obsessed I was with this episode. Um, but this is probably one of my earliest experiences with Stan Lee because it predates memory. But Stan used to narrate those episodes of the old Marvel cartoons, including that Incredible Hulk series. And so I watched that on Monday. I watched that episode, When Monsters Meet, and just hearing Stan's introduction and his narration throughout the episode, it just really helped me reflect on what Stan really was. I mean, it's everybody can look at the obvious of he create he created or co-created a bunch of characters that have lived on for decades and touched all of our lives and i'm not trying to be dismissive of that that's extraordinary but without stan the man and i mean that both in terms of his nickname as well as just stan the person and wh- and who he was those characters never would have been what they were without stan himself uh and what he did and the way he fostered a community because I think part of the reason why people are there's such loyal uh, there's such loyalty within Marvel fandom and why there's such harmony really within Marvel fandom and why people get along and, and bond together uh, over these characters is because I think that's something that Stan really developed in the Marvel Age of Comics the way and this predates us obviously but having the Marvel bullpen and talking about what was going on in the office and giving everybody nicknames and sharing uh, stories about the creators and actually highlighting the the work of the creators and making sure their credits were on the books in the Marvel Age of Comics. All of those things with Stan really getting uh, building that bridge 
between the people who tell the stories and the people who read the stories to see that we're not so different after all, and a lot of us love and are excited by the same things. But then, you know, continuing on and, and just being the face and voice of Marvel throughout the rest of his life and how important that was, because that was the thing for me in watching those cartoons and, and hearing Stan, and even when it gets transitioned into years where I actually can remember watching VHS tapes of those Hulk cartoons and Spider-Man and his amazing friends and everything else, that Stan was, he wasn't just showing you these characters, he was inviting you to come be part of something. He was inviting you to come step into this world, and he was there with you. And so you never felt alone when you were with, when, with, and in many ways never had to feel alone because Stan Lee was there. Even though I wasn't meeting him, he wasn't physically there, you just felt like you were in Stan's company when you were being told these stories. And I think that's just mm -hmm. been there uh, the entire time, whether, even when he's not narrating, when I'm just reading a comic book, you just always feel that presence of Stan Lee. And I think that's part of, uh, I think that's a huge part of why it always just felt so good to be a Marvel fan. Yeah. You know, it's funny cause Stan Lee was, his face was always a part of Marvel in some way, even before like there's the cartoons. He never, he never stepped away too far from Marvel. He went, you know, it's chronicled that, you know, Stan did, had an amazing run as an editor in comic books, changed the medium forever. And, you know, developed everything, became ran Marvel, and then it got it got bought out by a bigger corporation. And then when that happened, Stan moved to LA to, you know, work and try to get the Marvel properties into film and on TV and whatnot. And that's why we get all those cartoons and things like that, is because Stan was just, you know, pounding the you know, the drum to get his properties onto different mediums other than comic books. And and I think that Stan is he was so amazing in regards to that because, you know, a lot of people, even though I comic books are my favorite medium, Stan, you know, knew that, like these characters were gonna outlast, you know, the, the medium itself because they were timeless characters, you know. And, and and Stan knew had the the foresight and and the knowledge to to do that. He I mean obviously by the time he moved down there over to L.A. he was already like these characters have already been out for what five six years seven years somewhere around there, and he, they were already like you know maintaining their lifespan. They were they were killing the the competition in D.C. I mean Marvel when once Marvel kind of got started like they were an unstoppable train uh, that. That could not be stopped because Stan had built. And one of the things, too, is Stan wasn't afraid to give people chances. And I love that about Stan. And, you know, it's like looking at his life, you know, Stan, you know, he just he, was he perfect. No, but like he, he always gave like these people underneath him so many chances. Look at like um, Jerry Conway, Roy Thomas. These guys were all in the early 20s when they came into Marvel and they had like, he gave them all their first shot of everything and they're all hardcore fans. And he Stan knew like, instead of being like, no, we got to find a more experienced writer. He's like, no, these guys love the characters. Come on, take over for me, Jerry Conway, you know? And then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to kind of let you do your thing. And he did, he gave him freedom. And even when, um, <laughs> it's a funny story. I remember listening, listening to this on a podcast. Um, Jerry Conway said when he killed Gwen Stacy, uh, Stan was at a convention and they all said, Hey, we'd bring back when, and he <laughs> went to Jerry and said, Hey, you need to bring back when he goes, I can't, he, she's dead. 
And he goes, uh, figure it out somehow. <laughs> and then Jerry brought back the clone and then she left. And then and Stan was fine with that. But the only reason why he did it, because all the fans were, were yelling at him, like, you need to bring back Gwen on, like, when he was on stage. And he promised everyone he did. And he made good on his promise to an extent. But Stan was just like that. Stan just loved. I mean, Dan loved the glory and 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 the and the lights. I mean, I don't really blame him for that because so many people in show business they love that stuff. That's kind of what they're made for. But Stan really had a passion for people, and I think that's evident in yeah. everything that he did. And well, with with go ahead, Sean. Well, no, I I think that whole thing of Stanley the persona. Um, do I do I think Stanley liked that and enjoyed it? Of course he did, but. I don't think it was purely self-serving. I think Stan knew that that Marvel needed something like that, that there had to be a face, there had to be a voice, there had to be someone that the audience was connected to. I think Stan knew that that served a purpose. And also, Stan's ability to promote, and he was great at it, uh, was a huge part of why Marvel took off the way that it did. You know, Mickey Mouse without Walt Disney is just another cartoon mouse. It doesn't become what we have today with Disney. And Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Hulk, they are not what they are today without Stan the Man. Without Stan doing all of the things he did to promote Marvel Comics. And because when he was promoting, he wasn't promoting just himself. He was promoting the characters. He was promoting the Marvel stories. And so... For Stan to go and, and brag on these characters and these stories, great. You know, it, just like in his comics, he'd be telling you about that this is going to be, if you go back to the issues that Stan wrote, talking to you about how this comic that you're about to read is the greatest story they've ever told, and even, even better than the one that you read last month, which was also, mm -hmm. at that point in time, the greatest the story best. they had ever told. <laughs> like, that was Stan, and I think that was something that people loved is that that was the deal that Stan was making with the audience is that they were always going to push. They were always going to try to do better. They were always going to try to be bigger and tell the best stories they had told. And that was going to be the mission each and every time out. Each new villain that they created was going to be the greatest villain their hero had ever faced. All of those kinds of things. And I think that was so pivotal to Marvel's success. And Stan going out and, uh, you know, Stan did a lot to really show that comic books weren't just for kids. Yes. Uh, Stan went out and lectured on college campuses. And, and so it's college students. It's 18 to 22-year-olds. It's not 12-year-olds that he's talking to about these characters, about these stories. And so Stan was pivotal in that. And also the work that Stan did when it came to getting these characters into other mediums, like that was important because I think Stan knew that there was only so much of an audience that was going to be reached by comic books that they had to go elsewhere. And so for Stan to do what little he did, and he didn't do it all by himself when it came to getting animation and then eventually movies and all that. I'm not trying to give him credit and say he did everything, but him trying to push for those kinds of things and showing that level of ambition, all of that was very, very important. Um, and, and creatively, Stan did a lot when you talk about creating these characters. He came up with a lot of the ideas for these characters and a lot of the ideas for these stories. I know that obviously Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko rightfully credited as co-creators on a lot of these characters. And they, of course, deserve to be, but Stan deserves his uh, co-creator title and, and status as well. So, you know, I, I think a lot of that stuff with, with Stanley, I understand how the, the self-promotion can be a bit of a turnoff to people, but 
in my mind, it always, well, first as a kid, I just loved it because it's the, you know, it, it's like the, you know, the, what the ringmaster in the circus, like he's just, he's the promoter. So you just kind of love that as a kid. But then as an adult, I realized that, that Stan was working, you know, Stan was doing mm-hmm. what he needed to do to uh, help these stories and these characters connect, uh, reach, and then connect with as many people as possible. Yeah, and that's the thing with Stan is that he he it was a genuine connection, and I think we all you've been you work in you live in the heart of Hollywood, you know, in Southern California, where there's tons and tons of people and work in that industry. And I'm gonna go ahead on a limb here, uh, Sean, and assume that most people I'd say are are pretty not genuine people, and are fake. No, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people, and. I and just from the from the the things that we've seen of Stanley, from the all the testimonials of people. Mm-hmm. Granted, again, not a perfect person. We all the 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 stuff with Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko are out there. They're famous, whatever. But when you go out there, when Stan met people, he was a genuine person to every single person he met, and made them mm-hmm. feel special. And that's that. I have never I have never heard besides. The, the tales of, of, you know, working with Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and everything. Uh, I'm, I've never heard a bad thing uttered that about Stanley in person. Never, ever, ever, ever. There's, and in this day and age of the, inter- especially in this day and age of the internet, we would have heard something at least by now, like, Oh, Stanley on caught on camera telling someone to F off. That's never happened. He embraces everything. He embraced it. And then that video that um, the people who, who uh, worked for him, they posted today on his Twitter was a great example. Mm-hmm. I mean, and granted, he's sitting there and he's, you, you know, he's not, you know, he's old man. And obviously, that's very recently, but you can just tell what he was saying. It's all genuine. Everything mm-hmm. was genuine. And, you know, one of the things I'll never forget, and I, I, I'm sure it's still out there. So, I'm going to plug it's I'm going to plug this podcast a uh, Spider-Man crawl space. There's an episode. I think I've even talked about this before. Uh, there's an episode. This is a long time ago. This is before I even got into podcasting. This is like 2008 ish around even maybe sooner. There's an episode where um, it's they're celebrating Sal uh, Buscema. And we talked about him on, the, on the, one of the Patreon podcasts for Avengers versus uh, or Avengers uh, Crawl Scroll Cree War. Cree Scroll War, yeah. Oh, uh, whatever it is, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Um, but Sal Buscema is one of the artists on there, and he's been in part of Marvel since like the late '60s, early '70s. And um, the reason I bring it up is because on the podcast they got Stanley, albeit for like 10 minutes, if that, maybe even less than that. Stan got on the phone to t- congratulate uh, Salbu Sema and celebrate him on the phone. And it was so funny because you'll hear a different side of Stan. And it's more of like the true blue Stan because he gets on the phone he's like, ah, Salbu Sema, what are you doing? And it was so funny. And he's <laughs> like, ah, Sal, what? You know, and I, I think Roger Stern was on there too or Tom DeFalco. One of them's on there. And he's like, ah, oh, Sal. And like, he's just all revved up and all excited to talk to Sal and, He's just giving him a hard time. Like, ah, it, it totally, it's a different person, but the same attitude and charisma and the person he's more personable and he, you know, there's history between them, but it was so funny. You could tell like Sal and Tom were just laughing because that's, that's Stan. That's just how he was like, Hey Stan, you know, they're just laughing and you know, it wasn't an uncomfortable laugh. You could tell they were laughing because like this is, you're getting, you're getting a glimpse into Stan Lee. It's out there. 
Tell them that, you know, Paul from, uh, uh, if you download the podcast and you like it, tell them I sent you, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a good small little clip. I'm not, it's a long podcast, so you might have to search a little bit for it, but I just, I just remember that stuck out of my mind of, of just, you know, he was wanting to jump on a podcast and, and say hi to his friends for a few minutes. I mean, that's really cool. Even back when podcasts were even that, that big. You know, yeah. and this it, it, Stan was willing to do that for his friends. I just it always stuck out to me like, man, Stan is like a legit dude. I mean, he just loves to to, to be be there for people. And I don't know, like it's it's just something that in my mind that I, I just always he's always someone I wish I could have met, but not like in a in a picture. I would love to say hi to him for like a couple minutes, you know, and like I even posted on my Twitter recently and you might've seen it. People, if you follow me, um, at Herman 22, two ends. Um, if you, if I, I put on, there, there's three people I would have loved to have like told, told them how much I mean to me or people that like meant like the world to me and shaped, shaped my life. George Lucas, Stanley and Bob Dylan. And, you know, it's just one of those things where like, I wish I could have like actually talked to him. For a minute and I, and I know he was at conventions a ton but mm. it seems so impersonable and i and i just that's not my thing i just I'm, conventions aren't really for me i wish i would have ran into him somewhere and somehow and and told him how much that you know growing up and growing up in, in this world like i was i was an outcast we talked about this on the last show it's so funny it's so fitting the last show we talked about it mm-hmm. you know and again we were talking about being like, we we're the only ones that liked this stuff. We were outcast in the society that, you know, was telling me or at the time anyway, and certainly not now, but at the time, these characters are stupid. This is, this is kid stuff. You're so dumb. You're so this, you're so that. And Stan's characters that he created, they embraced, you know, or not they themselves all the time. Cause that's kind of the, the appeal of Spider-Man. He's an outcast and isn't, you know, yeah. he's just trying to survive, but it made me relate and it made me realize that it's not to embrace that side of me because all the thing, all the people that he created were all outcasts well, and they weren't perfect, but so what they could still do the right thing when yes. faced with a choice. And that's why, I mean, I think when you look at Stan and, and no, he didn't draw the characters, but coming up with the concept for someone like Peter Parker to just be a kid. And, and even that, that origin story, it's, I've always said that that Spider-Man has the greatest origin story in all of superheroes. Like it's there's just there's nothing even close to that origin story of of Peter Parker because there's that moral tale that is perfectly encapsulated right there within it of with great power comes great responsibility of you know Peter did what most kids would do if they suddenly found themselves with superpowers. He acted selfishly and then of course he then of course the uncle ben dies as a result of peter being selfish he pays dearly for that his uncle his aunt they pay dearly for uh peter's uh, selfishness when he first gets his powers and that lesson that he learns and that drives him going forward now that doesn't fix peter permanently because he learned that lesson because that's also human is that we don't uh, even when we learn important lessons in life that doesn't just fix us and we're not perfect from that day forward and it's whether it's Spider-Man, whether you know Peter Parker or Ben Grimm or Bruce Banner or whoever, like you don't have, uh, you're not perfect. You are flawed. You have to deal with problems that you know they were dealing with the kinds of everyday problems like just making the rent money on time. All of those kinds of things that Stan brought to comics that really made these characters uh, relatable. 
And that's carried forward. That's been a tradition that's been upheld in Marvel comics, in animation TV shows, and all the way up through, uh, you know, all the way up through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, and like you said, you know, having that feeling of being kind of alone as a kid when not everybody's into this stuff the way that you are. Um, but one thing I, I should have said last week though is that you know I was never truly alone because Stan was there. You know that voice yeah. of Stan and that that presence of Stan. Um, that was what I was bonding to. I think cling, even when I didn't know it, I think that's what I was bonding with and, and kind of clinging to as a, as a Marvel fan growing up. But Stan didn't just make me a bigger Marvel fan. I think Stan made me a bigger superhero fan across the board, uh, which is why you see DC also paying tribute to Stan Lee this week because Stan did a lot for the medium of uh, of comic books and also just the genre of superhero storytelling because if without the marvel age of comics like a lot of this stuff could have folded you know there had been plummeting sales for other dc books you know marvel wasn't doing so hot and that's why they had to get a superhero team like there were things that were that were not going so well and and the marvel age of comics was a real shot in the arm to the industry and then that turns it and and i think that also inspired a lot of things to change in dc and since then there's just been this rivalry of these two companies trying to get better because they have their they have somebody to compete with and and uh stan being such a great ambassador to these things like he did a lot to just make me as i said a bigger fan of superheroes in general i think i'm a bigger batman fan because of stan lee even though stan didn't create batman i didn't hear stan's voice you know narrating batman the animated series but you know stan made me happier to be a superhero fan more proud to be a superhero fan and and, uh, you know, that impact has been, it's been huge for me. I mean, I think that Stan is as responsible for the person I am today as anybody in my life who I don't have an actual close personal relationship with. Like Stan is is certainly responsible for more hours of joy and entertainment in my life than any other individual. And, you know, so much of what he created and the stories that he've told have shaped me, have given me a passion, have, you know, this podcast that we're doing right now, uh, this doesn't happen without Stan Lee. Like, I don't think I'm doing podcasts. I don't think I'm recording and talking about superheroes and, and all of that stuff and, and writing about them. And, and uh, you know, and it's not just because the, the characters don't exist without Stan and we don't have the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But uh, again, not just the creation of the characters, but the persona and being the ambassador like so much of that was so vital in my ability to connect with these characters, and I think that's true for so many uh, for so many fans out there. And that's why Stan, uh, you know, that's why Stan was just so so important to to so many of us. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because my my whole introduction to Stan Lee, and you talked about it. You had it from the when Monsters Meet from the cartoons. I vaguely remember hearing Stan Lee's like name, but like it's I, I'm not gonna say I knew who that was. I did recognize him when I flipped through my comic books. There was like an ad for like draw the Marvel way or something mm. like that. And and Stan Lee was Stan Lee holding something like with Spider-Man on it. I don't remember exactly the ad, but it's like it was for Marvel. And I want to say it was either drawing the Marvel way or like a, a like a VHS about Marvel or something like that. And it was Stan Lee. And I remember I remember his him very well. He had his hair. His, his, he had mm -hmm. he had the white sides just like or the gray sides on his head or white sides on his head like Reed Richards. And, um, you know, 
glasses and i'm like okay he's been an old that. man my entire life yeah you know? no, yeah exactly i feel like he's been the same age for like 40 years it seems yeah. like you know it really does um it's all to be honest it only feels like the he really seemed like he got old in the last and i mean i'm mean, i not saying like and disrespectfully but like it really feels like he only turned into an old man like 10 years ago like i feel like he's been the same age for like 40 50 years no, you know i think it, that's crazy i think that's true you know it's been you know seeing stan and you know, when I first started going to conventions and I would see Stan, even though I was seeing him from afar, you know, when I saw Stan, first time I met Stan was five years ago. And, uh, you know, it was at a convention, but I wasn't there as, you know, it wasn't like a thing where it was a paid photo op or, or any of that stuff. I I knew uh, a friend of mine, Mark Hughes, was going to interview Stan because it was Stan Lee's Kamikaze. It was his convention. I think it was the second year of the convention. So it was still a relatively new thing and they were wanting to get as much coverage as possible. And so my friend Mark writes for Forbes. And so he's going to interview Stan and he's like, Hey, you want to tag along? And I'm like, yes, I want to tag along. Like I've never met Stan Lee. This is going to be my opportunity. And Stan comes walking in. He he looked like he felt younger than Mark or, I, or myself. Like he just comes in. He's just, he's just a ball of energy and enthusiasm. He's right there with it. The only thing about Stan at that time is his hearing had already gone. So it was really tough to, uh, you know, like I wanted, there were so many things I wanted to say to Stan, but first and foremost, I just had to pleasantly say hello and then let Mark do his interview. Uh, and then all I could say is very quickly, you know, thank you so much for, you know, for everything, everything that you created has meant so much to me in, uh, in my life. And he just kind of smiled and nodded and said, we just said, well, you're welcome. And then I asked for if I could take a picture with him and he said, of course. And then I got a picture with him. Um, but yeah, like it, it was tough. It was tough. There was so much I wanted to say, but I knew that, like you know, at, at that point in time, you had to whisper. You had to go right into Stan's ear for uh, for him to be able to uh, to hear you at that point. But other than that, I mean, yeah, you wouldn't have known that at the time this was a guy who was who was ninety years old. You just wouldn't have uh, about to turn ninety one years old. You wouldn't have guessed that uh, because uh, for any other reason than the hearing, because Stan was just he was with it. He felt. I felt like I was talking to the exact same guy and seeing the exact same guy that I've been hearing and seeing my uh, my entire life. It's been, you know, it, I know it's been obviously as we've gotten towards the end, he's cut, he, you know, he had cut back on his schedule, wasn't doing as many conventions and all of that stuff. So I know uh, obviously his health had been deteriorating over the past couple of years, but you're right. I mean, for for such a long stretch of my life, I felt like Stan was the, the exact same guy, uh, which I think is part of the reason why... Uh, you know, Kevin Feige, there was a quote from him in one of the interviews he did with the trades this week where he talked, but there was a part of him who thought Stan would live forever. And I think I did yeah. too. You yeah. Know, no, I, seriously. Me too. Yeah. Because he had, uh, because he was already, uh, you know, I mean, he was what, 60 years old when I was born or something like that. So he was already an older guy. Uh, but he just never, it just seemed like nothing ever phased him. You know, nothing ever mm -hmm. phased Stan. Like, he was just the same guy with the same energy no matter what. But I think that's also a testament to who he is, is you know for at least for some of these last few years, he probably he wasn't feeling as well. Um, but he still gave you every bit that he had because he knew, and it, because part of that is because it's genuinely who he is, but also because he knows that when people meet him, uh, go back to, like, his philosophy with comic books. Every comic book when he was when he was writing them, Every comic book was somebody's first comic. And I think for Stan, he knows that for whenever he was there in front of the fans, it might be the first time they see him. 
it might be the only time they see him, whether that's an actual meeting with somebody or they're just seeing him uh, from afar, watching him on a stage at a con. Uh, he wants them to be able to see Stan Lee. He wants them to be able to see their heroes. Mark Hamill had a great tweet this week talking about how, you know, they say, don't meet your heroes. And they're wrong. Uh, because in, in Stan's case, yeah, meeting, mm. you know, meeting your hero, he's, that's who he is. Stan, like that Stan, the person you expect to meet when you shake hands with Stan Lee, that's, that's exactly who he is. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing. Like he never, he never seemed like, again, I said this earlier, he never seemed like he was a different, like he's always seemed consistent, like the same person. That's so hard in this business, you know? I mean, in any business, whether it's, but especially Hollywood, right? I mean, to find those genuine people that, that are consistent. Cause you, like I said, you would hear those bad things. Um, but going back to, uh, my time with Stan and knowing who he was, when I would see those 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 things in the in the comic book ads, and I just kind of you, you see his face. It's a very you know recognizable face. And the here's the one here's when I truly learned who Stan Lee was, Sean. Let's see if you have. Let's see if this bring uh, rings a bell. 1990s Marvel trading cards. Mm, yep. Now, so. For people, like, for you don't know, uh, trading cards in, in the 90s blew the hell up and, you know, they were all the rage. And I want to say the first set, as far as that I knew of, the first set in the early 90s were these um, trading cards that had like a white box around them. Mm-hmm. And they had like a little frame and, they, and this, you know, Spider-Man, you know, whatever. And and one of the cards you could get was of Stan Lee. It was, but it said Stan, the man Lee. And mm-hmm. what it was, it had him and his glasses and his, a little bit of his hair, but he had a little piece of all these different Marvel characters mm-hmm. in his face. And I've seen people have it as their, um, as their profile pictures and stuff like that. It's really easy to find. You can probably just Google Stan Lee 1990 trading card picture and it'll, it'll pop right up. But what I'll never forget, I'll, I saw that in a Stan, the man Lee. And I, I want to say the back of the card is where I really learned who, who he was. And I realized, Oh, Stan Lee is the one that created everything basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, granted, now I know Jack Kirby, Steve Dicko, don't get mad people. I understand. But as a kid that was advertising, let's, let's be real. He co-created all those characters and it was like, wow, like this guy is responsible, you know, responsible and help, you know, help create all these different characters. Like, are you kidding me? It was like kind of mind blowing. And that's when I first realized who he was. And a side note, this is how much of a comic fan I was back then. Um, also in the early nineties, do you know who was a big shot artist at the time? Jim Lee. I thought mm-hmm. they, I was maybe, his oh. son. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know he was Asian at the time, but, but no, I was like, is Jim Lee Stan Lee's like, uh, son. Oh, it's really crazy. Keep it in the family. I thought it was really, really, really cool. Um, but no, I never, I didn't, I had no idea that that Stan Lee is this one guy created all these different characters and it blew my mind. I, I it just kind of, I was in awe. And I remember loving, I love the card and I think it's really cool. And I see people have it as their, uh, their, their profile picture now. In fact, I'll even post it on my Twitter now and you guys, and I'll even pen yeah, it. I don't remember. I mean, I, I definitely remember having that card. Um, I don't remember when I became aware that Stan was the guy who actually created the characters. I think I knew that pretty early on. I don't know if that's because of 
credits from animated shows saying created by Stan Lee or, or whatever, or if it was the cards or in different comics. But yeah, for as long as I've known uh, that I can remember knowing about these Marvel characters, I've known that Stan was the creator of, uh, of so many of them, including the ones that were my favorites, like the Incredible Hulk and, and Spider-Man and, and the X-Men. So, you know, I remember just being way into that for, uh, or just loving Stan and, and thinking like, oh, I can't believe this one guy made all this stuff. Like I was impressed at the time that Bob Kane made Batman and Stan Lee made Hulk and Spider-Man and the X-Men and Fantastic. Like what? Um, it was just the craziest thing. And then of course you get older and you learn that he didn't do it by himself. And there are other people who certainly deserve to be credited as co-creators just as I got older and realized that Bill Finger deserved as much, if not more credit for creating Batman, uh, than Bob Kane did. Um, Although for any comparison to of Bob Kane and Stanley, like that's invalid. It's not that situation. Stan has exactly is very well deserving of his creator credit on uh, on those characters. But um, yeah, I, I think I've I've always had that that awareness of uh, of Stan Lee. But that just wasn't even the part that appealed to me the most. You know, yes, knowing that he created the characters was important, but it was just more of that feeling like I had a. Uh, a relationship with Stan and, and it's so funny now, although I guess it's not funny. It's really just more tradition. And I know that, uh, he's humble enough to just kind of scoff at this kind of thing, but Kevin Feige being the face and voice of Marvel studios has to be connected to Stan Lee being the face and voice of Marvel. Like it it has to be, Mm. It, it has to be, it has to be upholding that tradition, even if that's not necessarily, what Kevin Feige set out to do, it is important. You know, I think it has a lot to do with the way people connect with things. Uh, You know, and I think Kevin Feige is, uh, as I said, he is not Stan Lee. He will never be Stan Lee. But I think he carries forward something that Stan Lee established as this is a great way to connect with your audience is to let them know that one of them is at the helm. Because I think that's what Stan did with his readers, is he let them know, hey, we are you. You've got guys on the inside here who are making this stuff. They love this stuff just as much as you do. They take it just as seriously as you do. They care about it in the way that you do. And that's and I think that is a huge thing that, uh, that creates loyalty within the audience and trust within your audience or readership in the case of those comic books. And so Kevin Feige being the guy who comes out on stage in in Hall H at Comic-Con and the guy who's there at the press conferences, and I know he actually doesn't like doing that stuff. Like, I know that's not his favorite part about his job, but he does it, and I think it's because it's important. It's important to show fans that as... uh, Because in comic books, writers come and go, artists come and go, uh, but Stan was a constant presence for Marvel, even when he wasn't officially working for Marvel anymore. He's always been had that ambassador type of role. And I so I think as different directors come and go and actors and everything, Kevin Feige being that constant presence and that face and somebody that the fans know and trust is a bona fide Marvel fan and somebody who really cares about the stuff just like they do. I think that is huge in the uh, you know, in the way that Marvel fans have been able to connect with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the way that connection has been sustained uh, for the past 10 years and the way it's been growing over the past 10 years. 
I think that is something that uh, I don't know. Again, I, I don't know if it was ever intentional by Feige or not, but there is something that Stan established here. There is a tradition, and it is. I am seeing it continued in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, whether it's the intention or not. Uh, but effectively, it is continuing that tradition, and I think it's huge. But but again, that doesn't happen without Stan showing that hey, this part of it is important. You might look at it as self-promotion, but that's actually not what it is. It is reaching a handout to people uh, who've, who've been reaching out to you who love this stuff, and it's actually just, it is just having that human connection with the audience. It is, it is vital. Well, and I think it, it, that is definitely vital. I mean, anytime you're building uh, of empire of anything, right? Uh, you got to have a connection to the people. I think it's it can happen without having a connection and being 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 able to sell yourself and be like a salesman. And that's not really like the the right term I'm looking for. George Lucas comes to mind as someone that doesn't is not that personality. But the one the one thing that I think George Lucas, Stan Lee, and Kevin Feige that they at least all have in common is they understand the properties of what they're dealing with. In Stan Lee's case, Stan created these characters, but he understood the limitations and and not limitations that they had. So Stan knew that I'm creating these characters for comic books, but he realized very quickly this is this is more than comic books. These characters can, you know, we can really you know, brand these characters on different things. And he knew that they weren't that far off from a Batman and a Superman and things like that. And Stan understood that. And I think that having the connection with the material is so critical. That's what Kevin Feige has that Stan Lee has. And I love the the comparisons you bring to them because that's exactly what I think Stan Lee got. He got, I mean, he again, he created the characters, but you can create a character and then someone could k- take off with it and make it their own and, and turn it into something more, right? I mean, that's what happened to a lot of comic book characters. In, you know, look at Batman. You know, I mean, Batman became, a, you know, a totally, he was brought to life by so many different writers, even more than what Bob Kane told, mm-hmm. initially envisioned. Whereas Stan Lee's, I mean, again, maybe, maybe I'm out of line. I don't want to upset any Batman people, but that's my, you know, non-hardcore Batman fan looking out, outside, you know, looking in. Stan Lee's incarnation of Spider-Man is essentially the same. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. It's never, you know, it's never uh, deviated from that unless it's an alternate reality or, or whatever. And that's the thing with Stan is Stan understood, like, and this is the thing that you got to realize people is that Stan Lee is the reason there's a continuity and yeah. that's, there is, you know, you look at the Marvel cinematic universe and the, in this, what Kevin Feige did, Kevin Feige is doing what Stan Lee created. And what I mean by that is not just the characters Stan understood. If I can cross promote different characters in different comic books, that means it gives a, the reader a broader sense of what's happening and it makes them feel like, man, this is a bigger world than what they're given. Mm-hmm. Remember, D, you know, again, I just read a, another, I'm going to keep plugging things. So, you know, I, I've studied a lot of Marvel and comic books and Star Wars and stuff and whatever. And I've, I've listened to a lot of audiobooks, read a lot of stuff. And there's a couple of books you guys all need to read. The first one you have to read is The Untold History of Marvel Comics. And that is a fantastic book. I will tell you the history of Marvel and it's pretty much Stanley centric for like the first, I think it's like a 18 hour book 
And I think the f- first like uh, 10, 8, 12 hours are pretty much just about Stanley, essentially. And um, anyway, another book that I just read that kind of follows up a little bit, treads a little bit of the same waters as that book a little bit is the Slugfest of DC versus Marvel uh, history. And one of the things that um, that needs to be really, really understood, and I knew this kind of before I, re- I went and uh, listened to Slugfest, was that the continuity between Marvel between in DC Comics was non-existent. There was no continuity. There was only like do your thing, whatever. You know what Flash did in Justice League was never really was never referenced in the the Flash comic books in his own book or whatever or Batman. And so what Stan Lee did was okay i'm gonna have people guest star but it's gonna reflect Mm -hmm. and you have those little those little boxes of like see daredevil issue nine the editor stan it was and obviously it was mostly stan stan Mm -hmm. would say go see this whatever that's all stan lee and stan understood to cross promote and to give the readers something different and he and he understood and before a continuity is think about this, this this today people Continuity today is, I think, what it is as far as pop in pop things like Star Wars or Star Trek or DC or Marvel. I think that we have it like we have it now because of Stan Lee, because Stan Lee understood the markability uh, that the marketability, excuse me, uh, of having these things and knowing like I can promote my Spider-Man book and my Fantastic Four book and have them come together and have them guest star. And then pretty soon you have them going back and forth in each other's books as a crossover. And that's the whole thing. Stan pretty much introduced the intercontinuity content of that. And it, it revolutionized the media because we all know that Marvel and DC are, you know, they were the only players in town in comic books, comic strips and Sundays and things like Sunday comics and things like that existed. But Stan understood and this is what Kevin Feige is doing. He's doing yeah. exactly what Stan – and again, and well, Kevin Feige huge, be the first person to tell you. Yeah, I mean, well, it's a huge part. Yeah, he he absolutely is. But it's also part of the reason why – and I don't really think the argument truly holds up in modern context. But it is part of the reason why people – some people have argued this is why it's actually easier for Marvel to have a, a cohesive universe in movies is because – so much of their universe was built this way, you know, from the beginning to have characters interacting with one another. And that was really more of something that DC ended up adopting later. Although I think justice league was already a book before even FF came out. But when, when the DC characters were initially created though, it, it was years that those characters existed before they really started uh, you know, hanging out together. But to your point, if something happened in Justice League, it didn't necessarily impact what happened in Flash's mm-hmm. issue that month. But if Spider-Man appeared in somebody else's book then uh, that month, then you heard about it in that month's issue of Spider-Man. Or mm-hmm. if a villain showed up, like, and I'm just using Dr. Octopus as an example, if he started out as a Spider-Man villain, but then he went and he tangled with another hero, you would hear about that the next time he showed up in Spider-Man. Yes, exactly. And, and that idea, and and you did a great job, of course, focusing on the you know the marketability about it and the promotion of it. But it's not just about selling; it's not just about the business of it. Yes, it is that sell as many books as you can. But beyond that, it's also something that enriches the storytelling. It's something that makes the world or the universe feel that much bigger. 
that there are that there's just so much more possibility that's out there and so many more characters to uh that you might want to keep up with or that characters you didn't know because that's how i mean that tradition that's a huge part of how i ended up learning about marvel characters is hulk was my entry point yep. and then mm-hmm. i'd be reading hulk and then this character seems cool where are they okay let me go read about them now you know that was how i discovered the fantastic four is because i just thought it looked cool when the big green monster hulk was fighting the orange rock monster rock monster thing and i was like what is that Oh, that's this guy from Fantastic Four. Let me go check out Fantastic Four. These books are pretty awesome. Like that's mm-hmm. you know that tradition of you know and expanding that storytelling and, and and I think that's the thing though is the more you think about this, the more you realize how many different ways he just changed the game, and yeah. how many different ways that you know he cre- you know and what his creations and what his drive, what his ambition, his vision, uh, his creativity, what all of that has meant and, and what all of that has delivered to uh, to the world. And I think what's really fortunate about Stan making it to 95, almost 96, he would have turned 96 next month. Wow. And for Stan to be around for as long as he was, he got to see something that not everybody gets to see. You know, he got to see his characters reach arguably their peak popularity. I mean, Marvel Studios just had their biggest year ever this year uh, with Stan Lee creations, with with Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, and then Ant-Man and the Wasp. I know Stan didn't create, I don't, Stan didn't create Scott Lang, but still the whole, the concept though of Ant-Man, that's yes. Stan Lee. Yes. So for him to see that and, and see this past decade of Marvel Studios movies, and I know he said, you know, a couple years ago, he couldn't really watch the movies anymore, um, but for him to be able to just see the way the entire world has embraced these characters. Like he saw Spider-Man in his lifetime become the biggest superhero in the world. Spider-Man outsells everybody when it comes to merchandise. Like he crushes everybody. Spider-Man's the most popular superhero in the world. And Stan got to see that happen. He got to see how far his creations were able to reach across this entire planet. You know, I think for some people you're, you know, you're lucky if you create something that any size audience actually enjoys, but Stan got to see, and he he even said like, it felt good. Of course, that when you're creating something, when he was writing comics, he wanted to entertain people. And so if he knew that he was entertaining people that felt, that felt good. And in his way, like he entertained the entire world and he's been doing it for generations and he will he will continue to do it for generations to come i mean when we look at the idea that yes stanley the human being is gone but stanley the legacy stanley the legend he lives on for as long as we're around to tell stories to each other we'll be telling the stories with the characters that stan created and co-created but we'll be telling the story about stan the man himself uh because stanley is an incredible story even outside of the comic book pages. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's what Stan, one of the things too, that Stan did, or we have to realize Stan wrote all the comic books too. And that's also helps when you're building a continuity. Oh yeah. Don't get me wrong. Stan was kind of, you know, they constructed the Marvel method. Yeah, exactly. And now for people who want, you know, who are unfamiliar familiar with the Marvel method, 
from what maybe I maybe I, I'm getting it wrong, but I'm pretty sure what it is is that they would plot out the comic book with the artist. Mm-hmm. Artist would then plot out the pages, draw them all, and once it was done, Stan would go back and then add all the dialogue yep. after the fact. That's the Marvel method. And that's and that's a, that's a that's something that's still being used. Not all, not for all the books, but for a lot of books, still being used. Um, and that's something that they that, that Stan that was the only way he could produce these things on a regular basis, you know, as fast as possible. Now people, and that's where a lot of people would get into the whole idea of Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, like who really who really was in charge. And I always defended Stan a little bit, saying, guys, come on let's be real. Stan had a hand in this. Like it wasn't like he just let them just plot the whole book themselves and he just regret get it. And you know, he had to know what's going on because I just read all the Spider-Man comics. The Marvel method was, you know, it would be a conversation with the writer, Stan and the artist, usually Jack or Steve, depending on the book. And so Stan is that conversation. So it's the two of them hashing out what the story is going to be. And so Stan is obviously making his contribution to that and the store. And then the, the artist would go and again, as you said, they, they're going to draw it based on the plot outline that the artist and Stan came up with. And then Stan goes in and writes the dialogue. Like you still have to give the characters a voice. And that was still Stan the entire yep. time. Uh, and, and so Stan, with, with you know, Stan was giving these characters, uh, he was helping to give these characters a soul. Yeah. And, and, and I just said that I, I read all the Stan Lee comic books mm-hmm. <laughs> with, you know, the hero on the initial amazing Spider-Man run. And okay. So I'm going to be fair with you all. It's rough for me to get through old comic books. It is. And it's because they're just, you know, it's, it's I'm not, I'm not of that time. I don't have a, a connection with them. So initially it was kind of difficult to read these, but I'm like, you know, I, as a Spider-Man fan, I have to go through and read the classics and I have to, not just the classics, mm-hmm. but I got to read all the amazing Spider-Man comic books because I want to get through, you know, the Roger Stearns, Tom DeFalco's. I read a lot of those comics, but I haven't read all of them. And with thanks to Marvel Unlimited, I want to go and read everything and start devouring as much Spider-Man as I can. Cause I've read a lot, but I haven't read everything. Right. So I went through and I reread a, all the, a bunch of the early stuff that I've read before, but went past into the John Romita era. And I got to tell you, even after Ditko, you know, left the book, when John Romita came in, Stan Lee and him were, I think, to me, as pivotal in Spider-Man than as Steve Ditko. Steve Ditko helped create the costume, or he created the costume. I'll give him all the credit on that. Um, but to me, John Romita and Stan Lee, they made the character who he is, I think, as as far as a household uh, face, if you will, of the face of Spider-Man is all Steve Ditko, or excuse me, um, all John Romita and Stan Lee. And I was actually, as Stan Lee did the book, and I actually really enjoyed a lot of the early stuff more than I was anticipating. And I was really impressed with how Stan and Steve were able to make Spider-Man such a like conflicted character. Mm-hmm. And again, the dialogue. I mean, dialogue is explaining things, overly explaining things. Again, it's for an audience aimed directly at six-year-olds, basically. Well, it's and, that, but it, it's also Stan's insistence that this could be somebody's first comic. So that's yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the thing that can make. Uh, that can make the early comics a bit of a sluggish read is if you know these characters so well and you know what their powers are, you don't need Spider-Man's powers explained to you in every issue of (laughs) Spider-Man, but that some of that is what's going on. You know, some of the writing is, is describing what you can already see is happening just by, you know, reading the art in the panel correctly. Um, 
you know, so there's some of that that's in there. But uh, yeah, I mean, Stan, the Spider-Man stuff is great. I've read all of the Stan Spider-Man issues. I'm actually working. I'm also working my way through a reread of all those that I want to get done in time for Far From Home. But uh, I've also tackled all of Stan's issues of Doctor Strange. I think that's Stan's best writing. Is really? The Strange Tales run of Strange Tales 110 through like 160 or 70, whatever it was. That's Stan's best stuff to me is his Doctor Strange material. And that was also with Steve Ditko. Yep. I need to read more of Stan's FF. I've read yes, I, I've read the highlights that you're supposed to read, but I need to go back and read like the whole thing. Um, you know, those hundred plus issues of FF that Stan and, and Jack did. And I've obviously read a lot of early Incredible Hulk stuff being such a huge uh, Hulk fan, but Stan really was a great writer. And yes. he was prolific uh, via that Marvel method. And what other people don't know, Stan wrote, Stan, when the Marvel Age of Comics first kicked off, Stan was still writing other books. He was still writing non-superhero stuff at the time as well uh, mm-hmm. until like all of the superhero stuff took off enough that he could just focus on, on just the superhero material. But yeah, Stan was incredibly prolific as a writer. And, and the Marvel method is great because I think Stan did, it allowed the artist to really have such a pivotal role in, uh, in the storytelling. I, could Stan have done more to make sure that Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko were credited as true co-creators the entire time? Yes, he probably could have. Um, and so I think if, if there's a criticism on him there, uh, there's that's fair. But I still think by and large he did give a lot of credit to those guys, again, making sure that People were people were credited in the books, the writer, the artist, the letterer, like those kinds of things. Those are things that Stan had in Marvel Comics at a time when, you know, when he started doing that, that wasn't the norm in comics. Like it was just an anonymous person uh, who was draw- writing and drawing the comics as far as the readers were concerned. So some things could have been done better for sure, but I still think, you know, Stan did uh, did a terrific job and, and certainly did uh, so many different things that changed what comics were and what superheroes were and, and things that, uh, you know, that have just continued to live on to this day. Yeah. And, and you brought up a great point. The Stan was not a bad writer. And one of the things, Stan if was you're a great look, writer. Yeah. And one of the things that I want people to go and read, I call it the uh, magic tablet arc. I, I have to find out what it is um, exactly, but it's where it introduces a character that eventually becomes a uh, silver the robot cyborg it's not in stan's run but he kind of brings that character in in the the magi or the magia or now which one you what how you say it you know who knows but there's like this overarching like story in 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 the early spider-man issues where this magic tablet is involved and it's really crazy to think that like uh stan lee like did that back in the day and this this whole like running storyline went through like a regular six issue or like longer than that, even for goodness sakes, it's crazy. And I, I remember reading it at the time and just being really impressed being like, man, like no one was really doing that back in the day. Like Stan kept having this, you know, this, this whole kind of running story for a course of the year. And I'm, and it really like was great. It was a fun read, re, you know, reading that now, was like, man, like this was actually really, really good. And I posted a bunch of panels from it. I mean, John Romita's art was incredible. Um, but you're, you know, you bring up a great point is that Stan was, uh, you know, 
to, he was re, he revolutionized the medium, not because he created his characters and then went off and did his own thing in L, you know, in, in Hollywood. He was a great writer. He uh, and he wrote all these characters and wrote these comics for a long time. The X Men, and again, he co he co plotted them all with um with his uh with his, his artists and whatnot. But he still did the legwork, and I just want people to really appreciate what he did. It was again, what he did was not, it's not easy. You know what I mean? It's, it's a, uh, it's something that it's not, you can't just keep going to that. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Can't keep going to the fact that he just created these characters and whatever. Like he was prolific, like you said, Sean, and did some amazing things. And maybe we'll read of some, you know, fantastic four stuff in the future. That's mm-hmm. not like the main, the, the greatest hits. Cause I, I would love to do that. Cause I love, I love that stuff. And, you know, for me, it's, uh, yeah, Fantastic Four is that's the one Stan Lee thing where I really want to get to to read. After reading Spider Man, I'm really excited to read the Jack Kirby and uh, Stan Lee stuff. I'm a big FF fan, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say I've never read, besides like the first like six issues, I, I think we read Fantastic Four for one of our old uh, uh, re- comic club uh, podcasts from years ago. Mm-hmm. Besides that, I have never read a lot of the early Stan Lee, Jack Kirby stuff. I'd love to get into like the, even like in the mid 50s where you got, you know, Galactus and the Watcher again. Galactus, the Watcher. I mean, these are staples of Marvel. You know, the Watcher yeah. is is like the the pinnacle, right? And he's that was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. I mean, it's, it's yeah. I mean, so many of the most popular characters, you know, the heroes and villains, were created in that time of Stan and Jack and Steve. And John Romita, and then you know, and then transitioning into, of course, Roy Thomas taking over as the editor in chief when, or taking over as uh, taking over a lot of writing duties, and then becoming the editor in chief as Stan became the publisher. But yeah, that Marvel Age of Comics, so many of the characters that were created then are still around to this day, and it's just it's truly remarkable. But one thing we haven't touched on just yet, and I, I don't want to finish this show without talking about it, is you know the when we talk about the the deeper meaning for these characters and, and what Stan was, was trying to do and providing very human stories that people could relate to and also providing metaphors, as we all know, you know, the, the metaphor with the treatment of mutants uh, within X-Men books and what, what all of that stands for. But that wasn't an accident. Those kinds of things were intentional. When Black Panther gets introduced, he takes out the fantastic four. He picks them off one by one in battle. Eventually they, come back and get him to a stalemate. But initially Black Panther is taking them out. And that's at a time when the Fantastic Four were the top superhero team in the business and in all of comics. And so, you know, Stan stood for those things and you go back and people have been sharing them. Uh, you know, they, they've been shared plenty of times over the years, but obviously with Stan's passing this week, uh, so many of them, have, uh, so many of them have gone viral with uh, the different uh, columns of, from Stan's soapbox when he's talking about bigotry, when he's talking about racism and also, uh, you know, because these are debates that people have now when people say their entertainment should just be disposable. It shouldn't be dealing with these kinds of things. And there was another portion where Sam addressed that specific point in one of those soapbox columns of when he said, you know, a story without a message is like a person without a soul. Like these stories, they should mean something. It doesn't mean that you can't also have fun. We can have all the fun that we want. But underneath all of that, we should still be trying to say something. And so I loved that that was all part of Stan and, and part of his you know, initiative, part of his ambition 
from the beginning that this was all intentional stuff, things that he was, uh, things that he was really driving at. And I think that is why people really connected. Uh, one of the many reasons we've discussed why people were able to connect with these books so much. And, and I just only can look at that from a historical perspective. Like I wasn't there during the Marvel age of comics, but yet I've felt, you know, I have been able to feel that at different points, you know, as a Marvel fan, when I finally was there and was able to tap into these kinds of things. And I think that's, you know, when you're a kid, you may not even be aware of the very real human emotions and experiences that you're tapping into. I mean, I think for Incredible Hulk, it's obvious, you know, when you're a little kid, you, you're powerless, you know, you are, you're weak. There's, you know, pretty much anybody can overpower you at that point, especially me. I was a small kid with an older brother. So like I was not winning anything. Um, you know, and, and being able to find, you know, that, that strength of the Hulk, like there was, there was a fantasy to that, but there was also that, that moral tale though, of just because you have that strength, like you have to control it. Otherwise, if that, that strength unchecked becomes destructive. And that was where like the Hulk and, and of course Banner would, would run into trouble. Like there are very real, there's truth. There is absolute truth in these Marvel comics. And I think that's why, uh, and in these characters, in these stories, and that's why they've, I, I think, shaped us in so many ways. And and, and I've, I love hearing the stories that people have shared this week about the way, you know, they, they got a lot of their moral code from reading Marvel comics, from reading Spider-Man or X-Men or wherever, you know, from these Stan Lee creations. But that's because he's included them from the beginning. As I said, with that, with great power comes great responsibility. That theme from Spider-Man's origin story it stretches across the Marvel universe and it's been part of Marvel this entire time to have one simple notion, not that it's the only thing that's there in Marvel comics. There are so many other themes that are, that run throughout, but just to have that simple idea, uh, that basic fundamental principle that has endured in the way that it has across, as I said, Spider-Man stories, but pretty much every Marvel character stories in, in some ways, um, it's really, it's truly remarkable. It is, no pun intended, amazing that Stan was able to do that and to incorporate such uh, simple but powerful life lessons in the books that uh, that he was writing. So yes, Stan was an unbelievable writer, uh, and just a, a brilliant, brilliant creative mind. Yeah, it, his, it's so weird to think about all these characters that I grew up, that my favorite characters ever, um, and, and as far as like my favorite things in life, like grow, growing up on, uh, excuse me, growing up, I can't talk tonight, growing up on Star Wars and Marvel, my, you know, since I can remember, all, you know, all those things were created by Stan, Dr. Octopus, um, you know, Spider-Man, the incredible Hulk, um, you know, daredevil, all these characters I, that I loved, you know, and reading about were, most of them were created by Stan Lee, one person. And, uh, you know, the X-Men, especially it's, it's really funny. The X-Men are this, these, this, uh, thing that he created that it, it took on a life of its own. It really did. And it really, it, it became a metaphor and paralleled so many different things going on in the world today. And it still is the, it's an amazing thing to think about of the civil rights movement, you know, from mm -hmm. back in the sixties and how it mirrored that. And, you know, and, and Stanley did all kinds of amazing things for civil rights. You know, I remember, 
you know, or not remember, but I'm just reading all these things that he did. Um, you know, he introduced, you know, Ro- uh, Robbie Robertson in Spider-Man. Um, you know, and he was the, the first, as far as I remember, well, not only that, but he would have, I, Steve Ditko would draw, uh, you know, black policemen in the sixties, which I'm, you know, sure that that wasn't going on all the time in DC or a lot of other places, as far as I knew and incorporating them into everyday life and the people at school. And I remember forget when he introduced Robbie Robertson and he introduced his son. And they would talk about the other times and about the hardships and like, and things like that, that, you know, they were going through in the sixties or black people were going through the sixties. And it was an amazing thing that Stan was supporting them and trying to get that voice heard to these normal, you know, to kids, you know, again, trying to let them know that what's going on can, you know, these things are going on uh, and the world can be unjust to these people. And, you know, it was an amazing thing to read even all these years later. Cause I'm like, man, Stan is, he's got it. Like he is pushing, mm-hmm. you know, the right thing. And, you know, it Stan knew that Stan was always trying to push the diversity in his books. Cause he knew that it needed to happen. You know, something it felt as an obligation to society to contribute to that. And not only that, but like, look at the drug thing, uh, the drug, uh, issues that he did with Harry when Harry overdoses on drugs, um, you know, the, it, was the first comic book code or the first time the, the comic book code was taken off, uh, one of the mainstream comic books was because Stan Lee wanted to do a story about drugs and, and, it, and the effects it had, but the comics code was so like strict. They said, you can't do, we, we can't put our code if you talk about this. Cause he's like, but I'm talking against it. And they're like, no, 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 no. And he said, forget it. We're just going to do it anyway. And they did. And it ended up being a really important thing that he helped Joe Casada. He even says that his dad went out and bought um, that comic book because it was an anti-drug book and he knew that and he gave it to him. I think it was that issue. Maybe it was something else, but I'm pretty sure he said it was that issue. But but either way, he wanted to, again, show his his it was his duty to do the right thing and, and speak out against these things and show that these things have bad side effects. And it was an amazing thing that no one else was doing that. And again, in a mainstream popular experiment, you know, Spider-Man being the most popular character in Marvel. And he was doing this when he didn't have to, he could just keep trying to sell the book, but no, he wanted to bring a message that was important for young people to see and to understand. And you got to give Stan a ton of credit. He knew, he knew all the stuff and he knew that people like the X-Men, was a metaphor for not just for the civil rights movement movement, but for anyone that felt like an outcast and, you know, and maybe, and again, I don't know. I think Stan was a pretty, you know, bulgarious outgoing guy, but it's clear that he understood the misfits of the world. And he understood that there's people out there that don't feel they belong. Mm-hmm. And Stan gave them a reason to give them hope. And to embrace that individuality and that being a, an outcast ne- doesn't always necessarily mean it's a bad thing. It just means that you're different and you have to embrace that. That's what the X Men, that's what all these heroes that he created represent. That's why they have flaws. It's because mm-hmm. we all have flaws and he understood that. And it's just amazing to me that, you know, he, and again, I, I'm, I'm so curious, Sean. To see, you know, because again, I, it's hard for me to think that he ever felt like an outcast because he is so outgoing. He's such a larger no, than did. life character. I mean, he yeah, did. Right, right. He took the name Stan Lee because writing comics he thought made him an outcast. 
That's was, true. That's good point. He was never going to be a serious author, or no people wouldn't accept him as a serious author if he took if he went by Stanley Martin Lieber, and you know made that his if he wrote comics with that name, then he wouldn't be able to write a real novel one day with that name. And so, like, he knew that this was, you know, that there was something about comics that was always considered second rate. And even he felt that, too. That's why he wrote with a different name. Uh, And I think that was part of that journey of, you know, discovery within within himself is that, you know, and I I think that was part of it is that, you know, what we what we're insecure. I mean, we're all insecure about things. We're all self-conscious about things. And all these characters are, in fact, a lot of the things that we think are the coolest things about these characters are the things they hated about themselves. Like a lot of people think the coolest thing about Bruce Banner is the Hulk. Well, Bruce Banner hates being the Hulk. Uh, you know, and even the fantastic four, like when they're first getting their powers, they're feeling like they're like they're freaks. And, and so, and I think that's what Stan is the, the metaphor that's going across all of that is, is actually some of the things that, that we think, you know, the things that we think make us a freak, the things that we think make us stand out in the wrong way are actually, uh, or can actually be our greatest strengths. They can actually be the thing that makes us special and makes us unique and that it's a very, uh, it can and should be a very positive thing. And I think that's what you, that's one of the huge takeaways from uh, from these Marvel characters. And, and that's why their powers are weird. And their powers are so specific in terms of what they can do. It wasn't all the, just the basic super strength thing. And even a character who's, the strongest one there is, like the Hulk, it's because he's a Jekyll and Hyde monster. It's not because, you know, he does. Bruce Banner doesn't get strength like Superman has strength, where he still gets to look like a nice, handsome guy. All of those different things and, and giving people, like, a, a freakish quality of their powers, but showing that... But it's not to say, you know, look at these gross freaks. It's to say that, like, you know, it's just the metaphor for how people feel. Like, the things that make you feel, that might make you feel bad about yourself might ju- they just might be the greatest strength that you have they just might be your greatest assets and i think that was something that maybe even stan had to discover about himself over the course of uh, of writing these comics although i'm not going to say that he did cuz i'm not going to speak for him and i don't know but it would have been a great question to to ask him and maybe somebody did and maybe that's in an interview somewhere and if somewhere, somebody finds yeah. it please let me know but i think that's part of it but then also getting into having uh, being socially conscious in the choices that he was making with these books and the, the fact that it was so intentional, I think that Stan, you know, backing up what his, what he was trying to say, his characters have to stand for, which is, uh, no, they're not perfect. They are flawed. They make mistakes. Uh, they learn from them, but then they make new mistakes because that's also part of being a human being. Uh, but when push comes to shove, when they are faced with a choice of whether or not to do the right thing, what makes them a hero is that they will choose to do the right thing because it is the right thing to do. And I think that's what Stan was doing with his, you know, with the X-Men, with those soapbox columns, with the other things that he was doing in his books. I think he genuinely believed those were, it was the right thing to do. Right. to offer representation before that was a thing that people talked about of making sure there was representation in the books. And no, the Marvel comics of the 60s are not wonderfully inclusive books. No, they're still not. Yes. Um, but they were ahead of their time in many of the things that they were doing. And I think that comes from uh, that comes from Stan Lee because he felt like that was what was right. Uh, that was right at the time and that was right for always. And he said before on multiple occasions that you know the beauty of Spider-Man it wasn't the original intent but what he eventually realized was the beauty of Spider-Man is that because the costume covered him completely 
that Peter Parker could have been anybody. You know, Peter Parker could have been from any walk of life. He could have, you know, his skin could have been any color. Like, and I love that that's something that Stan, you know, again, it wasn't something he was consciously trying to do when creating the character, but it was something he realized about the character uh, because he was trying to create something uh, universal in the, the human experiences of these characters. And that's why I, I think they've endured. That's why, uh, you know, it's something that, uh, that he really focused on in his storytelling, and it's something that Mar- that uh, other writers, I mean, for decades now, decades worth of Marvel Comics writers and artists have been tapping into and drawing from over and over and over again, and that, of course, has transferred to the movies most effectively in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is why we now have you know all of the things that, that we get to enjoy that are so far beyond what any of us could have imagined. And I love that Stan got to see, got to see things on that level. Now, for all I know, Marvel will just continue getting even bigger from here. Uh, But I know that the, the way that Stan, you know, what Stan was around for and to see it reach, you know, the heights that it did and to see uh, even see, I don't know how, aware Stan was of, of the impact that Black Panther had, but I'm sure he was aware, at least to some extent, to see how powerful and how moving that was for so many people this year. And then to see Infinity War just be the biggest thing ever, the third biggest movie, what is it, like third or fourth biggest movie of all time, fourth? Like fourth, fourth yeah, I think it's ever, fourth. Two billion dollars, I mean, just incredible success. And it's coming from people caring about the thing about the characters that Stan created and then the other characters that were born from these characters and stories that Stan created with Jack and with Steve and with everybody else in, uh, in the Marvel bullpen. And it's, it's wonderful that, that he got to experience that. And, you know, before we, uh, before we wrap up here, I want to talk about, I, I want to do a little bit of what we might've done in a Patreon credit scene. We didn't do one this week because this show and everything that we talk about, uh, for remembering and celebrating Stan, everybody should be able to hear it. So we want to. We're just going to keep everything in this main show uh, of this week. But the kind of thing we might have done in a Patreon credit scene would be probably doing something a little more fun, like talking about Stanley cameos. So, Paul, before we get mm. out of here, let's uh, let's try and recall a couple favorite Stanley cameos uh, over the years. I know which one is my like my single sentimental favorite, um, but it's actually not one from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm, mm. Oh man, this this is you tough. Can. This is tough. I'll start while you think. So okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, the one that always comes to mind for me is Spider Man Two because Stan saved somebody in Spider Man Two. You know, like it's Peter, it's Spider Man fighting Doctor Octopus, and like rubble debris is falling down, and there's somebody who's about to get hit. Stan says, "Look out!" and he pulls him out of the way. And that to me is just Stan being a hero. I know there's great ones like Stan literally talking to Peter Parker saying nothing in yeah. Spider-Man three. That one's awesome. But I just, I love Stan being a hero and, and saving somebody in uh, Spider-Man two. So that one stands out as a fair. I mean, I've got a couple more that, that I'm <sighs> certainly going to discuss, but um, this is, that, this is that, tough, man. This is tough. I wish you would have warned me about this. You didn't even tell me. I didn't. Oh my gosh. Well, I got to keep tough. you on your toes. Um, yeah, man. I'll, okay. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, if you've got one, go for it. Well, I don't really have one. Off, I will in a second. But I let me talk about the first time he cameoed in a Marvel film, X Men Two Thousand. 
and I'll never forget because I, you it's know, technically not. Well, which one's the first one he did then? Trial of the Incredible Hulk. Well, in cinematic, like yeah. cinem- <laughs> let's, let's get real here. And when I'm the just, Marvel- I'm just saying, I, I'm oh, just saying, I, I'm it, just saying too. It's a feature length film. Yeah, and Stan okay. cameos in it. Irregardless, he's on the he's on the jury. Anyway, the first time in in a theatrical theater that sure. I saw Stan Lee cameo in, there you go, um, was obviously Marvel's 2000 X Men, and mm-hmm. I wasn't reading comics at this time. I was listening to punk rock music and playing guitar and bass and trying to be punk rock and being an idiot. Um, but uh. But anyway, but I just didn't have. I loved. I liked comic books still. I just, mm-hmm. well, yeah. People, I always say this. Remember, the late '90s was not a good time for comic book readers. It was rough. It was rough waters. Um, didn't have much money. If I had more, in, you know, steady income at that time, I probably would have bought a few comic books. But anyway, um, but my love for the characters and the, and the comic books still remained, regardless. And I remember when X Men was coming out, I was getting really excited. In fact. I think I graduated high school right before <laughs> the first X-Men movie. I remember, I think I was like, I, I graduated like the week after or the week before something like that. Anyway, I remember just getting really excited because my life was about to start literally like I was going to about go to a Bible school of all places. And, uh, but anyway, and I was really excited and going to see X-Men and it blew me away, even though they're all wearing black costumes. That was weird. And I'll never forget sitting in the theater in the beach scene when uh, Senator Kelly is uh, Mm -hmm. walking on the beach and everyone's staring at him. And my eyes, and I'm not kidding you people, my eyes go straight to Stan Lee, Mm -hmm. who is the hot dog attendant. Yep. And I, I was, and I remember saying, Stan Lee! And I even said that out loud. And I remember (laughs) a couple people, a couple people chuckled. Something like that. I remember I said his name out loud. I went, oh, Stan Lee. And I was probably the only person that got that. I got that. I, called, I think my best friend, Ryan, who was with me, was like, oh, Stan Lee. He, kind of, he vaguely knew who he was. But I, I immediately picked him out of the lineup. Like, yeah. like bam, there he is. Yeah, I, like, I clocked it. I clocked him, too. But that one was that was a tough one because, like, they didn't really focus on him. Like, it, no. It it moves pretty quick. That's like a you know blink and you'll that's a blink and you'll miss it. Stanley cameo. Yeah, and and I'm trying to think if, if I'm thinking about that was clear. I mean, obviously this was the you know the kickoff of the Marvel the movie kickoff. boom. Yes. So like they hadn't yet realized that like oh this is going to be a thing and like people are mm-hmm. going to really dig this. It was an homage basically. Yeah. It was it was a a tip of the hat to Stan, and then. He and that's when he came back for the second one, which I don't remember what he was in the second one. Um, was he one of no? Was he one of the uh, in the museum? Perhaps was that where his cameo was? I literally he, just watched every Stanley cameo the other day, and now I'm you know what on the it MCU is. Cameo. I'm almost I'm almost positive he's in when 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 um, Professor Xavier freezes everyone. He's got to be in that. He's got to be in that montage of some mm. sort. But anyway, the one of the first ones that comes to mind. Is actually from one of the the worst. I'd say again, it's all debatable. The, maybe one of the worst uh, MCU films, but not the not the worst. Maybe uh, you know the best of the worst or worst of the best. How about that? Um, Incredible Hulk. That might be one of my favorite uh, cameos of Stan Lee because I love 
when he opens up the refrigerator, mm. he grabs a soda, and he drinks it and goes, wow, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and he drops it. So they yeah. had, they had like, and I love that he's the first one to have like a, a reaction to the soda that they, that he created. Mm. And now you, you almost want to know what happened to him. Right. So that was one of my, was one of my favorites. Um, he you know, the powers uh, to transcend space and time and be the, the, like the exact same character in every Marvel movie. <laughs> like, yeah, pot- yeah. Potentially. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's another, a, a sentimental favorite of mine is from the Hulk movie in 2003. Uh, because he's yeah. talking to Lou Ferrigno, and there's just something really cool about that. Uh, oh yeah, because he was a security guard. Yeah, he and Lou Ferrigno are security guards, and they're walking out as Eric Bana's Bruce Banner is walking in to do sciency things. Like they're walking out, and Stanley is lecturing Lou Ferrigno about how they need to beef up security and everything. Uh, so I love that because it's just Stan talking to a one-time Hulk. Like that's pretty awesome. Um, in MCU cameos. The one that just makes me chuckle the most is the him being the guy driving the who loses the bed of his truck trying to pull Thor's hammer. Uh, oh, that's a great more, one! Like, yeah, that did it work? Uh, like that one <laughs> is just—I don't know why. Like it just tickles me to death. Like it's—it's. It's, I mean, it's intentionally funny. So, uh, but like it, nobody laughs as hard as as me at that. Like I just laugh. I've always that one's always cracked me up. Um, I loved Thor Ragnarok last year, like the fact that he was physically interacting with an Avenger and that he totally changes Thor's look by being the one who cuts Thor's hair. Uh, that's a pretty good one. Uh, being the bus driver on, on Infinity War, I also thought was a pretty cool one. So, uh, yeah, there's, I mean, the MCU cameos have pretty much all been on the money. The I'm so fired Smithsonian security guard. Oh, that's and a Captain great America, one, the too. Winter Soldier. I mean, they're just, they're just so great. And uh, it's... It's. I'm glad that there's more. There are more coming because he shot. You know, he shot a few, and uh, so we're probably going to get one in Captain Marvel. I think we'll probably get one in Avengers Four. I don't know if there will be one in Far From Home or or not. So I, I wonder what the last Stanley cameo uh, will be. But it's certainly going to be emotional. You know, when we as we start heading into this year. I mean, it's. It's unfortunate, you know, the the time. I mean, again, ninety five years is a very long life, and and Stan, of course, did more with his ninety five years than than most people would do if they had two hundred years. But you know, it's. I guess there was a part of me that was definitely hoping that Stan would make it at least past Avengers four to really kind of bring this whole, uh, you know, see him if he could see this era of the MCU kind of come to a close and and be a big you know, send off for him. But then again, I mean, he got an amazing send off with the way, you know, the, with the kind of year that Marvel has had and the way, you know, Marvel studios just really took over the world and kind of cemented, I think their place in, uh, in Hollywood in pop culture. And, and of course that's after decades of, of Marvel already being such a huge presence in pop culture. Thanks in large part to Stan. Um, but I know it's definitely going to be emotional and, and people have already talked about it. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be in the credits, you know, of maybe it's in Captain Marvel, but it'll definitely be in the credits of Avengers four, you know, in loving memory of Stan Lee. And I'm probably just going to lose it uh, when we see yeah. that in, in Avengers four. Um, but I, I am looking forward to it. I don't know when the last cameo is going to be. I hope that Marvel will tell us once that's the last one. So we can really watch it and, and appreciate it for being 
uh, the last time that we're going to see Stan in uh, in one of these movies. But it's always just been a treat, you know, to see him honored in that way and in the way that uh, and it's not just Marvel Studios that's done it again. This started before Marvel Studios was even a thing. And Stan's been in cameos for other movies this entire time, even while Marvel Studios has been running. So uh, the way that people have, you know, treated uh, Stan and, and honored him with these cameos, and and everybody who knows Stan has always said that he gets an absolute, he always got an absolute kick out of doing the cameos, and, and he always had so much fun with it. And I, I always loved Stan in interviews when he would talk about his cameos and glorify his role <laughs> for doing yep. these cameos. Uh, and wanting an Oscar for best cameo that that needed to be a category. And I kind of agree with that. So um, I think uh, it's just, you know, it's always been so much fun to see him. And as I said, it's always been, it's just delighted the entire theater, not in X-Men because people didn't catch it. But like once, uh, once we got past X-Men, it became more of a thing to really feature him in those cameos. Uh, everybody's just been, uh, had so much fun with it. And I know that people are just going to go absolutely crazy when they see Stan in these next couple Marvel movies, however many are left that we're going to get these Stanley uh, cameos in. Uh, but it's just been, uh, it, it was, it was a remarkable life led by, by Stanley. I, I think Stan goes down. I mean, I'm biased clearly because I have such affection for him and for his work. And, and he, it's made, uh, it's, done so much to shape who I am and the things I care about in my life and my, my passion. Like, you know, we talked about this podcast, you know, last week and, and why we do it. And, it. and it's all about passion. And, and I'm recording this episode surrounded by toys and collectibles and all these things that are, some of which are Stanley co-creations, some of which are just became are you know, are born of those creations in, in later years. But I'm surrounded by all this, you know, Marvel stuff as as I record this show and, and I I do this show, I write about this stuff, I follow this stuff. It's been a religion for me for my life. And it's it's a passion that is, you know, born of a fire that was lit by Stan Lee. And I, I am gonna be, you know, forever grateful to him for, you know, this passion that I have that he sparked, you know, in me. And and I think that's something that uh, I know a lot of people are feeling is there's grief um, there is celebration of a legacy, but, uh, you know, above all else for me with, with Stan Lee, there is, uh, just a tremendous amount of gratitude. I am glad I got to tell him thank you at least, uh, at least one time. The, the other times I saw him, I didn't even have enough time to say thanks. It was just, hi, Stan. And then that was it. <laughs> but like, just, uh, even if you never got to meet Stan, even if you didn't, uh, think of, even if you never got to say thank you in person, you should know that he knew, uh, and he said that. And Paul, you mentioned that video. You know, there's that video that uh, you can watch from the official Stanley Twitter account. Him talking about uh, how much he cared about the fans, and, and definitely watch that because Stan knew how much he was loved uh, by the fans and, and the impact that he had. Um, and I think that I'm, I'm so glad that he knew that because he deserved to have, um, you know, he deserved that love from the fans. He deserved to feel that love from the fans. And uh, I'm so glad he did. I, I love Stan Lee. I'll always love Stan Lee. Uh, it's weird to live in a world where Stan Lee is, is no longer alive, but that doesn't mean he won't have a continuing presence for the rest of the days that I'm alive, you know, for me. And, I'm, and he will have a presence uh, long, that will, of course, outlive me and, and all of you listening to this. And, and, and all of us. I mean, for, for generations to come, there's just, 
there there was only one Stan Lee, uh, and uh, and he'll he'll be with us always in some way, shape, or form. You know, one of the things that I didn't realize until recently with Stan Lee was, you know, we talked about how Stan created these things about misfits and how you brought up a great point, Sean, about how he was, he was trying to be a serious writer. He even, I remember even those interviews of him talking about, you know, he even joke about like, yeah, I was trying to be a serious writer. That's why I, a different pen name. What's fascinating is that Stanley represents what I think all of us can embrace about ourselves and that Stanley became Stanley when he embraced what himself and that he, in thinking about the time, his wife said, why don't you do a book that you'd want to read? And that's when he created the Marvel universe. And think about the time he stopped trying to be a serious writer and he embraced who he was and what he did and, and embraced his, his personality. Yep. And once he did that, he, look what he did. He went on a run that will probably, probably be unmatched by anyone else. And I also want to make sure people realize that he was older when he did this. He was 39 years old. He wasn't yep. like in his early 20s or mid 20s. He was 39. And, and went as into FF who, like it was going to be the last comic he'd ever write. Yep, exactly. And, and just and just went for it all. And so it gives me a huge inspiration because I want to write comics one day. And I'm 36 years old. I turned 37 in a few months. And it gives me. I mean, obviously Stan's been writing comics a long time, but. What's amazing about Stan Lee is I think you can use that to show that age and work, you know, determination, they don't, they don't matter. As long as you have that determination mm -hmm. and you embrace what you love and you embrace your, yourself and your personality and stop trying to be something that, you know, he wasn't, he, he wasn't the serious writer. He could, he could write, but that wasn't really Stan's personality. And once Stan finally embraced that, he created this amazing thing that is going to live on forever. And that to me is, is what Stanley really, I, I didn't even realize how, you know, again, like, oh man, like it's, it's an amazing thing to, to really think about. And, you know, again, I talk about when I was a kid, he gave me characters that I could look up to in times when I didn't have anyone else to look up to. And these are the, that's all Stanley. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, I am in, indebted for, I'm indebted to him forever for giving me so much, you know, I've met so many people through all these things and yeah. I podcast because of it and it's, you know, all I mean, possible because Stan Lee, there are friends we, we have today that we wouldn't have yep. without Stan Lee. Absolutely. You know, there's a community that we're a part of that doesn't exist without, you know, without Stan Lee and, you know, it's, I'm glad you brought up the, the story. I mean, Stan, who, you know, if there's one other thing to be happy about, it's that Stan can be reunited with his wife, Joan. And, yeah. and you know, the, they were together, they were married for what, almost 70 years. And, you know, she, it's that famous story that he told about how he was going to quit. He was going to give it all up. And she said, just write what you want and before you quit. Cause then if you get fired, who cares? And he wrote fantastic four and, so, um, you know, to, to your point though, I mean, it's never too late. That was at 39. He'd already been writing comics for years. Um, but I, I think you made a terrific point though, about how like he wanted to be, he saw himself as wanting to be this serious author, but he was a serious author. Comics can be, you can be a serious author writing really cool, crazy, fun comics. Uh, you know, and for Stan to embrace, to fully embrace his creativity, 
fully embrace his personality because the Stanley persona, by the way, didn't exist in these other books. Like it's not like Stanley was a famous name already for all these years. He was there and he was writing the books, but the Stanley that we know, you know, like he didn't fully, I think, embrace who he was and what he really wanted to do and the stories he really wanted to tell. I think when he figured that out, then, uh, in, as you said, it's a great, it's a great metaphor. It's a great lesson for, for all of us in really tapping into and finding out what it is we care about, what it is we're passionate about, what it is we actually, we really want to do with ourselves, what we want to do with our lives, with the time that we have and how we're going to make the most of it. And, you know, Stan, he couldn't really, he didn't figure that out all by himself. Again, his wife was instrumental in that. And sometimes that's what it is. It is that outside perspective. But once Stan came to that realization, he made history and he put himself in a place or rather, he earned the right for us to put him in a place and hold him up as one of the greatest and most impactful creators in all of pop culture, in all of just culture, period. Like Stan has done so much to shape the things that the world thinks about and cares about and embraces in characters and storytelling. And he is, as you know, he is the man, he is a legend, he is an icon. And we are so privileged to have been alive at the time when Stan Lee was alive. I'm glad I didn't have to learn about Stan Lee in the past tense. For some of it, I do. You know, I wasn't around the whole time. But for me to have been around for the past, you know, 35 years of uh, of Stan's life and to be in a position to where when he goes to understand exactly what kind of person has actually left this world, you know, I'm glad that we can have that full appreciation for for everything that Stan has meant to this world collectively and to each of us as individuals. So thank you very much, Stan Lee. We love you. Excelsior. Excelsior.